0: Gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's gene
1: steinberg so instead of coming right to the microphone upon returning from the mile high conference chris o'brien decided that he ought to get a chest cold instead no it it got him i guess he got himself a little run down and he's been able to get these colds lately in the last year or two since quitting smoking So I don't know if that's counterproductive or not, but he's a little bit under the weather. And we'll be back next week when our friend Nick Redfern will be here to talk about shape shifters. So we'll deal with that next week. This week we'll deal with a lot of other subjects and not much about UFOs except for this. Our guest co-host is Paul Kimball. Back again because we like him. And our guest is Dr. Scott Kalbaba. And he's an internist a real medical doctor, and he's responsible for bringing up a book to us called Physicians' Untold Stories, Miraculous Experiences Doctors Are Hesitant to Share with Their Patients or Anyone. It's about miracles that doctors have reported, him and 26 other physicians. We'll get to that in a moment. Okay, Paul, we got this story in Huffington Post from Leslie Kane. And it's about Tom DeLonge, someone we don't take very seriously, but now he's got this latest disclosure gig in some kind of press conference, and it turned out to be a lot less than we expected. What did you hear about it?
2: Nothing more than what you read on the Huffington Post. Honestly, as I, as I told folks last week, UFOs aren't, no pun intended, really on my radar screen these days. Uh, it's making films about other things. I kind of keep track of it, and so I read it, and I thought, huh, well, this sounds familiar and it sounds, what did I, I think, what did I put on Facebook? I said, it's the Roswell slides with tech, you know, attached. So it's almost like the Aztec case will develop this really cool tech with the Roswell slides, which is, you know, this is at some point or another bogus. Now, is Tom DeLong sincere? He probably is. I remember once, about 10 years ago, being at a conference in the U.S., and I think it was Robbie Williams, the British pop star. Big thing. It was the International UFO Symposium, and uh, Nick Pope was there. And, and Robbie Williams was flying in on his private jet or something, and he was fascinated by UFOs. and Dan Aykroyd, same kind of thing. There are celebrities. There are people in all walks of life that are interested in UFOs. Celebrities, if they, like Tom DeLonge, even if they're sort of B or C list celebrities, sometimes have the resources and the connections to maybe push it further in the public realm than somebody like me could. So what? At the end of the day, their entire thing seems to be basically their crowdfunding, as far as I can tell, to try and start something up that is going to create these new technologies or whatever. And I seem to vaguely remember Stephen Greer making that same pitch 10 or 12 years ago. And I sort of remember Roger Lear making the same kind of pitch too. And in his case, he wanted to make a film about aliens and all this sort of stuff. He was looking for money to do it. It's craziness. These things come and go. This one, people seem to be taking a bit more seriously only because there's a celebrity attached. And we live in a celebrity-obsessed culture, unfortunately, especially you folks south of the border. But we're not Free of guilt up here in canada either and so you put tom DeLong's name on it and a lot of the same people that you see show up over the years in a lot of these kinds of things dealing with quote quote disclosure and then you put leslie Keene's name on the byline because people seem to think that she's credible i do not but i suppose on the sliding scale of ufology <laughs> she's more credible than i don't know rich dolan or stephen greer or whoever but it's a sliding scale that's it Nobody within ufology is going to care. The main, people in the mainstream aren't going to care about this, honestly. It's going to come and go pretty quick because the attention span these days, I think of people who have heard this kind of thing before, is pretty short. The DeLong factor might give it some legs, but my interest has already passed. Most of the people, let say on my Facebook feed, who I know are interested in UFOs, they seem to have already kind of laughed at it, and they're moving on. So, you know, that's kind of my take on it. And the other thing I would say, Gene, is there's nothing to disclose, which I know will anger some of your forum users, but that's my point of view. There is literally nothing to disclose. If there was, we would have heard about it by now. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't UFOs. That doesn't even mean there aren't space aliens visiting planet Earth or have visited planet Earth. I don't know. I know, and I mean, I'm just saying I know, I'm convinced beyond any reasonable doubt, that if whatever they represent, there isn't a secret Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of vault where the government's been hiding that information for 70 or 75 years. And we're not reverse engineering technology and all that sort of stuff. So everything that the disclosure movement talks about, I, I just think is bogus. And in fact, takes us away from a much more interesting conversation, of which I think UFOs could be part of, So could ghosts and all sorts of these paranormal things um, that we're going to, including talking to Scott about, about things like uh, near-death experiences and uh, possibly what might be out there and how that all works or even miracles, however you want to call it. All of these things, you know, we might be dealing with something that's all tied together in a much more interesting and fascinating way than space aliens in a 1950s flying saucer puttering their way here from Proxima Centauri, which... I, I don't think it's the case. So that's my take. And your forum users are well familiar with that by now. Feel free to have that, uh, <laughs> folks. There you
3: go.
1: You see, I'm accused so often of keeping my head in the 1950s. And my point has always been is that in the UFO field, we haven't left the 1950s. We're hearing the same arguments. And now it's Proxima Centauri. Or Zeta, or Reticuli, as opposed to Mars or Venus. But very little has changed. And that is the argument. And very little progress has been made. And the Tom DeLong thing is just another one of these representations of we're going to disclose something. And it never, right. ever seems to happen. It's the promise repeated every year. And the boy has cried wolf just too many times. And who's going to believe it? They've been crying wolf since the 1950s. You see, my head's back in the 1950s again. But I don't want to be unfair to our guest, Dr. Scott Kalbaba. Scott, have you any interest in UFOs before we get to your book?
4: Not a great deal of interest. Thanks, Gene. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. No, I'm sorry. Just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> I okay. think there's probably something else. I think there's probably something out there that, you know, there's so many stars, it's it's hard to imagine that there isn't some life out there somewhere with billions and billions of stars. But uh, I'm not that into, into UFOs. So, sorry.
1: <laughs> well, then, we're not going to talk about it. Except for one thing I'm going to mention. And because we're going to mention one of the cases, at least one of the cases here would be like a near-death experience. And that is one of our friends... Red Pill Junkie, his real name is Miguel, who's a researcher and blogger, wrote an article for my newsletter and has talked about this in other places about a resemblance between near-death experiences and UFO abduction cases. Hmm. So that's interesting. It doesn't mean that near-death experiences mean we've met ET. It means that people claiming abductions have definitely not met ET. But let me ask you here, this book that you presented, Physicians' Untold Stories, What gave you the idea to put all this in a book?
4: I think there were two words that that describe why I did this. And Gene, with all the work that it took me to write this, the two words are temporary insanity. (laughs) Uh, When I've got a busy job, I've got seven kids to take care of, would be temporary insanity. I started out thinking this would be a six-month project, uh, very simple, and it dragged out to about four years. And, you know, there there is something about these stories that I really just had to tell because these are such moving and emotional stories that I, I really, uh, I almost had to write this, this book. And what got me, one of the things that got me going, I, I listened to a couple of stories from docs. Now docs don't, these are ordinary docs that I've, I, in the book. And docs don't talk to each other about these kinds of spiritual and, and uh, near-death experiences very much at all. So, I suppose it takes
1: one doc to know what to say to another doc. This is getting very fascinating, and listeners, we have lots of case histories to bring to you throughout this episode. Let's break it here and then we'll continue with Dr. Scott Kalbaba. Our guest co host is Paul Kimball. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the (laughs) Paracast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour.
5: Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoap.com. Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog.
6: With nearly 70 years of history engineering bunkers, today, Atlas Survival Shelters is still the authority. Atlas offers 18 different choices, from commercial tornado shelters to underground nuclear fallout shelters, starting at just $99.99, with 100% financing available, comfortable interiors, and state-of-the-art air filtration systems. Atlas Survival Shelters are the most popular private survival shelters in the world. Call 1-855-4-BUNKER-NOW, or visit atlassurvivalshelters.com.
7: For P-150, P-150 GA, P-150 NY, P-150 OK, P-150 tnc 250 A, C-250 E, C-250 Q. Not available in all states. If New York or Colorado, call for a similar offer.
8: What's the scariest thing about going to the dentist? Opening your mouth or opening your wallet? Because just a simple cleaning can cost $100, and things like root canals can cost you hundreds more. If you don't have dental insurance to help, call Physicians Mutual Insurance Company, 1-800-972-6540. This isn't a discount plan or preventive-only coverage. This is real dental insurance that helps pay for checkups right away. So you can call today and get your teeth cleaned tomorrow. Plus, it helps cover the more expensive procedures you might need down the road. Fillings, crowns, bridges, even costly dentures. There's no deductible and no annual maximum. Your acceptance is guaranteed for one of these insurance policies, even if you're retired. There are no networks, so you can choose any dentist you'd like. Call now for a free information kit with all the details. 1-800-972-6540. That's 1-800-972.
9: 6540. Dr. Carolyn Dean wants you to have a free chapter of her new book, The Magnesium Miracle Second Edition, and it's available at MagMiracle.com. In your free chapter, Dr. Carolyn Dean explains how magnesium is essential to support the structure and function and overall health of your body. Your free chapter is your guide to learn how to support your heart, bone, metabolic, lung, and mental health with this powerful mineral. The Magnesium Miracle Second Edition is available on Amazon, but right now get a free chapter at MagMiracle.com, spelled M-A-G-Miracle.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: We continue, but first a reminder before we talk to Scott about the book and about the doctors he's talked to we have a second radio show called After the Paracast, and we do amazing things on there because it's a continuation sometimes of this show. It's a separate show, separate interviews. So, for example, we talked to a guy named Monty Shriver about the Aztec-New Mexico case. A few months ago, an unheralded episode where he, as someone who lived in Aztec when this alleged flying saucer crashed in 1948, can tell you, He never heard anything about it. And when he went to his class reunion, he asked everybody he knew. And they never heard anything about it. Listen to that episode, but you have to be a member of the PowerCast Plus. Go to plus.thepowercast.com. That's plus.thepowercast.com to learn more about After the PowerCast. We also give you the ad-free version of this show. And Paul Kimball's got some exclusive stuff he's going to be sending up in the next little bit of time. Dr. Scott Kalbaba is a medical doctor, an internist, and he is responsible for putting together this book called Physicians' Untold Stories. And Scott, before we broke, you were telling us here that you were talking to other doctors about things they don't generally share.
4: How'd that come about? I'm not sure why a couple doctors approached me. I've been in practice a long time. I've never heard any unusual stories up until just before I started to get interested in writing this book. At that time, two doctors came to me with these really, really unusual stories. I'll I'll tell you one real quick. It's uh, Steve Heim is an orthopedic surgeon that's a back surgeon. And we were having breakfast. And toward the end of the breakfast, he said, you know, I just have to tell you this story. I, I don't know why, but I... Uh, I, this last weekend, I was skiing in Colorado with my wife and my wife's sister, and, and he's an expert skier. He, he does these triple black diamond runs all the time, and, and he's an expert skier, as is his wife. I do not ski, and I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> okay, those are the, the runs where you look down and you say, I'm going to die if I take this run. Okay, those are the, that's the kind of run he, he's on. This is an unfamiliar mountain to him. He got to the top of the mountain. They were ready to start skiing down, and the blizzard hit. So the wind started to come up. The temperature dropped about 40 degrees. The snow was coming down sideways and upside down and all over the place. They could hardly see anything in front of them, but they had to ski down the mountain. So they start skiing down the mountain. They come to about halfway down. They come to a a grove of trees, pine trees, and they had to go to the right or the left. Dr. Heim went to the right. The girls happened to go to the left. Dr. Heim thought they were all going the same direction. And as soon as he realized that, he decided to ski back through this grove of trees to get back to where the girls were. Well, all of a sudden, while he's skiing through this grove of trees, he has this really unusual feeling in his chest, like there's something dreadfully wrong here. And and he couldn't, he couldn't understand what was wrong. And all of a sudden, everything became very quiet. Despite the snow coming down, the wind blowing, he could hear his breath. He could hear the snow under his skis. And he felt like he had to do something that had life and death proportions. And he wasn't sure what it was. So he stopped skiing. Now, he knows that the girls are waiting for him on the other side of the grove of trees. And he can't see them. But he stopped skiing. He's sunk down in five feet of powder snow. And he's standing there wondering what the heck he's doing. He took off his skis. And then he has this crazy idea that he has to walk up the mountain. Uh, in the opposite direction from where the girls are waiting. So he's walking and climbing and walking up the mountain has no idea what he what he's doing, but he still has this feeling of dread in his chest, and, and there's still this, this eerie silence that, that he can't get over. He can hear the crunch of the snow under his boots, and it's just really, really quiet. Despite the snow coming down, the wind blowing, and he comes to a big pine tree in, in his path, and there's a thing called the tree well, which is where the snow comes down to the base of the tree, and then it goes up to the five feet of, of snow. And he's standing in front of this tree wondering what the heck he's doing. And he looks down into this tree well, and he suddenly realizes why, why he's there. There's a shape of a body under the tree covered with snow. Now, he's a trauma surgeon. So what better person to happen to across the body in, in the middle of the woods than a trauma surgeon? So he brushes off his, his face. He looks like he's dead. He's got a gray face. It doesn't look like he's breathing. But a, tra- a good trauma surgeon goes farther than that. He reached down to, the, to his neck and felt his carotid artery to see if he had a pulse. And sure enough, he had a real, a thready pulse, but it was a pulse. He knew he was shocky, hypothermic, you know, almost a death's door. So he, he went into trauma mode. He brushed all the snow off. He knew exactly what to do. Started to yell for help. Help! Help! One of the last skiers that was down, coming down the mountain heard his cry, came to his side, and he said, what can I do? And then Steve said, go to the nearest phone, or as soon as you can get to the ski patrol, get him up here. This guy's almost dead. So the guy took off, and he was ski skied down, and about 20 minutes later, he could see the light from a snowmobile pulling a gurney that came up to his side, loaded this unconscious skier onto the gurney and took him back down to the lodge where an ambulance was waiting and took him off to the hospital. By this point, Steve was shivering and cold and adrenaline because he'd taken off both of his jackets to cover this guy and keep him warm, put his jackets back on, got back to where the girls were still waiting for him on the other side of the grove of trees, and skied down the, the mountain to the lodge, there he got his his special reward, a cup of hot chocolate. <laughs> the next day, he called up the hospital and find out to find out what had, had happened to this poor unconscious skier. The skier was awake; he was alive. The orthopedic surgeons that were taking care of him at the time were complimenting him on the great job he did splinting his leg in the field because he had a broken leg. And Steve took a tree branch and some of his clothing and, and splinted his leg. So he was he was fine. He was going to live. There was no serious uh, problem at all. And so Steve said to me, this was more than just a coincidence. That had to be some kind of divine intervention. Somebody upstairs was looking out for this guy. And then he said to me something that was very interesting. Two people were saved that day. And I said, what do you mean two people were saved that day? And he said, well, the skier was saved, but I was saved too. And I said, what do you mean? I don't understand what you mean. And he said, about two years ago, I was skiing with my father. And my father was in Michigan, and it was a um, cross-country skiing Trail and it was pretty vigorous. My father arrested on the trail, had a heart attack and arrested. I ran him down to the first aid station where there was actually a doctor, and we did CPR for about an hour and he died. I could never get over that. I'm a doctor. I'm used to saving lives and not losing lives, and I thought that I was responsible for his death. And when I found this skier on the mountain, when I saved his life, I realized that I can't save everyone and that somebody else is in charge of life and death and not me. My guilt disappeared and now I feel much better about myself and I, I can go on with life realizing that it was my father's time. But someone, and maybe my father was involved with this, gave me a second chance and I was able to, to succeed and save this skier. And now two people were saved that day, the skier and me, and I'm coming back to life again. When I heard that story uh, and a couple others, I thought, I've never heard a story like this before from a doctor. So I, I, I have patients that are in pretty much every occupation you can imagine. So I have a publisher that was a president of a publishing house. So I called him up and I said, let's have lunch. I'd like you to listen to a couple stories. I think they may have some merit to, to writing these down, but I, but I need to know, and they could be totally worthless. So, we had lunch, and I was telling him the stories, and I was eating, and I wasn't paying attention to what he was doing, and all of a sudden, I, I realized he'd stopped eating. So, I looked up, and he had tears in his eyes. He said to me, these are such moving stories. You have to publish this book. You have to write these stories and get more stories. The world needs to know that this, this is happening, and that this is happening to, to responsible people like doctors that don't normally believe in this kind of stuff. And so, I did.
1: We got more to come with Dr. Scott Kobaba and what inspired him to put this book together. With Gene and Paul,
2: you're in the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today
7: actual testimonials from real Numana customers. I've tried all kinds of food storage, and Numana is by far the best. I'm a single mom with two teenage boys and a full-time job. I don't always have time to cook a four-course meal. That's where Numana's been such a blessing. I can spend less time in the kitchen and more time on what matters most, like helping with homework. Find out for yourself. Order online at thepowermall.com. That's thepowermall.com. Numana is
9: food storage I love to eat. Yum!
7: Thepowermall.com.
11: hi this is bryce abel i'm the producer of dark skies the co-author of ad after disclosure and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: we continue with our guest co-host, Paul Kimball, I'm Gene Steinberg. Dr. Scott Kalbaba is with us, and we're talking about how they got the idea to put together this book called Physicians' Untold Stories and how a prospective publisher was just really excited and really emotionally impacted by the nature of these stories. But what I'm interested to hear is the timing. I mean, you've been in practice for a few years, how suddenly
4: does all this come together?
1: Have you in the past ever been exposed to anything like this?
4: No. No. I you know, I go to church and I believe that there's something higher than us and so forth, but but I had never been exposed to anything like this. And to have a couple docs just show up and tell me these amazing stories was just beyond what I could I could imagine. And then what I decided to do was to, to see if there are other doctors that had stories like this, too, because I don't know. I really didn't know, and I've been with doctors for 30 years, and, and I'm a doctor to many doctors, and doctors take care of me and the family and so forth, and we talk. But we never talk about these kinds of spiritual or emotional or near-death experiences at all. We talk about surgeries and potassium levels and who died and who's sick and so forth, but nothing like this. So I hung out in the doctor's lounge off and on for for quite a while. And I'd ask doctors, I would say, I'm writing a book. So I committed myself so that I would be embarrassed if I didn't carry on (laughs) with writing the book. And I said, I'm looking for stories about things that you can't explain scientifically. And I was literally blown away by the number of doctors that had these incredible experiences. I interviewed probably 200 doctors over the, over the time. And I called doctors up that I knew from my residency program and other, other places. And so I interviewed, I talked to lots and lots of doctors. And there were a large number of stories. A large number of doctors had had these stories. What I, what I do, Gene, is I, I would talk with a doctor, get the story down quickly, because most doctors are pretty busy in the morning, for example, going to their rounds and so forth. And then I would call the doctor up at night and then get the details. And we'd go back and forth at half a dozen or more times to get the story straight. When I heard a story that gave me goosebumps or made me cry out of emotion, those were the stories I used for the book. The other ones weren't good enough. And there were lots of those kinds of stories. And I'm collecting even more now. And I was totally surprised. And what also surprised me was that the doctors would let me publish these stories because they don't tell these stories to anyone because they're embarrassed that someone will think they're crazy. You see, that's
1: interesting. I'm looking at the back of the book and all these doctors have their names there. I noticed yes. one was a military doctor, and we're looking here at really prestigious people, pillars of their community, revealing these things. Would you say that most of the doctors you talk to have at least one experience that just boggles the mind?
4: A lot of doctors have experiences, and the more gray hairs they had, the more experiences they had. So not every doctor would, would have an experience like this, and I'm sure not every doctor would wanted to tell me their experience. But a lot of doctors did. I kept on wondering, these are very successful doctors. They have a great practice. They're ordinary people. Uh, They're people that you and I would go to uh, for whatever we have. And I do go to some of these doctors for various orthopedic things and whatever. And I kept thinking to myself, why would these doctors want to tell me these unusual, really strange stories in many cases, that could get them in trouble, Uh, and and the trouble they could get into would be patients would think that they're a little bit different and not go to them anymore, and they knew that too, and so I, I, I asked a number of doctors, why do you want me to not only tell these stories to me, but have me publish them for the whole world, and I think the bottom line and the reason that they did that is because And that's another thing I learned about doctors. There's a whole host of things I learned about doctors. But this one thing is that most doctors, I think, are sappy do-gooders. I call them that in the the book. They want to do good every day. They want to help someone. They want to cure cancer. They want to make sure that they do the best they can with every single patient that they take care of and help them in some way. And so I think their rationale was that these stories would help people that were in trouble, that had lost a loved one, that had a serious illness, or that just were struggling with their lives, realize there's something else out there that looks out for us and you can call it what you want most of the doctors call it god some call it universe whatever you want to call it there's some force that's higher than us that looks out for us and helps us in our day-to-day lives and that there's a place where people go when they when they leave the earth and this can be very reassuring and give people hope and i think that's what the doctors wanted they want to give people hope that there's something else, that uh, when they're in serious trouble, they've got a friend that's higher than us.
1: Speaking as a scientist, a medical professional, are there any conventional explanations for any of these things that you know about?
4: Well, sure there are. I think there are some stories that could have some some conventional uh, explanations. Many stories, not. The one like Steve Heim's story, for example... I don't know why he would ever have climbed that mountain and, and found that skier. But there are some stories in the book that, are, that, that could be the stretch of a coincidence. But really, most of them are pretty unusual and have no logical explanation that, that I can come up with. Scott, a couple
2: of questions popped to mind immediately. A uh, sure. couple of them, I think, are pretty short. Of all the doctors that you talked to, and you talk about yourself being a person of faith, you go to church and everything. Yeah. Um, how many of them were How many were talking from a Christian point of view? How mm-hmm. many were talking from, say, a Jewish point of view, a Buddhist, a Muslim, even maybe an agnostic? So was there a, a particular set within religious traditions or faith traditions that seemed to predominate? Or was this something that you noticed was applicable to all elements of the sort of faith spectrum, if you will?
4: Interesting question. Uh, about half the doctors I talked to had a pretty solid belief. Uh, most of them were Christian, uh, not all of them, but about half the doctors didn't have a religion, didn't go oh. to church, and, and uh, couldn't say that they belonged to Methodist or Catholic or Jewish or whatever. And what I found, though, is that most doctors that I talked with, especially the ones that had these stories, were, were profoundly spiritual. They knew that there was something else out there. And these stories, I think, helped uh, solidify that faith. But they, did, they didn't practice a faith, necessarily, and they didn't go to church, and they didn't talk about it. Uh, there's one doctor that, that I thought was the crustiest doctor I know that was kind of rough and gruff, and, and I won't mention who it is, but he was one of the most spiritual of, of all the doctors and really had a strong faith and strong caring for the, the people he took care of. And he was also one that did so many incredible uh, things that that um, helped the community and helped the children and helped uh, others in so many incredible ways. So it was the whole spectrum, Paul. It wasn't, it wasn't just all the religious doctors that came to, to me with these stories. Many very... Uh, uh, what we would consider unreligious doc- uh, doctors that didn't have a that didn't even have a religion couldn't even say that they were Catholic or Methodist or whatever.
2: Sure, and I'm just as interested in the other side of the equation, which would be the patients or the people who were you know <clears throat> involved in these stories. Um, so, when your book, for instance, you talk about um, unconditional love and how prayer can have uh, a real impact on folks and faith and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm just Curious, do you think that that is, would you ascribe that to being particularized as many people in all faiths? I'm certainly not going to pick on any faith, but mm-hmm. all of them have elements within them that say, well, ours is the best and the rest, there's, you know, you're going somewhere else. Or do you think it is a, almost a universal concept um, in your experience when you talk to these folks and stuff uh, that could apply to anyone? So you don't necessarily have to be a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or even a, a believer if you if you sort of um, maybe give yourself over or open yourself up in your moment of need.
4: That, that was my experience. My experience was that the, you don't have to be any particular religion or in any religion to have some of these things happen to you. So that people that prayed uh, that were in desperate circumstances, for example, may not have a religion, but their their prayer was still answered. Or that they still got some some um, uh, divine intervention in their lives, even though they weren't very religious.
1: This is just getting more fascinating. It really is. Dr. Scott Calbaba, Gene Steinberg, Paul Kimball, you're in the podcast. <music>
7: Hello, Mr. Anderson. The NSA has noticed how much time you spend on conservative news sites. We have no choice but to consider you a domestic terrorist. Tired of your internet activity being monitored
13: by Big Brother? Get VirtualShield.com. The world's easiest to use virtual private network. Browse the web anonymously, leaving pesky advertisers and spies in the dust. Get started today at VirtualShield.com. Take advantage of our free 30-day trial. VirtualShield.com. You have the right to remain private
3: Back pain doesn't
15: take vacations. It never celebrates holidays. It's on the job 24-7 to keep your life exactly where it is, in limbo. But it doesn't have to be that way, because Laser Spine Institute can help you take back your life from chronic neck and back pain. With a less than one-inch incision, our minimally invasive procedures have provided relief to over 60,000 patients with a 97% patient satisfaction rate. So get ready to stand tall and live the life you've imagined for yourself without pain. Are you or a loved one suffering from a bulging disc? herniated disc spinal stenosis pinched nerve or degenerative disc disease call our spine care consultants now at eight five 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 one zero back for a no-cost mri review and to learn more it's time to say goodbye to chronic neck and back pain call
11: eight five 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 one zero back to see if laser spine surgery is right for you that's eight five 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 one zero back
15: what have you got to lose laser spine institute the leader in minimally invasive spine surgery
12: This is Jerome Clark, author
3: of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: That is really interesting when you talk about that, Scott, that there's no correlation between anyone's religion. It's how they behave and live their lives. And it doesn't matter what religion you have. And I think that argues more for being a good person than following any particular religion, don't you think?
4: I'm not sure what it is, Gene, to be honest with you. Most of these docs were were really good people, and and they they believed in doing some good in the world. And like I said, they're sappy do-gooders. So I don't know what it is. All I know is, and, and the conclusion I came to, was that there's something else out there that helps us Uh, do the, the good things that we're trying to do and and may intervene in our lives in wonderful ways at times whether whatever religion we are isn't it also true that
1: when you're suffering from a serious illness sometimes your attitude towards it can help with the process of getting better
4: no question about that. No question about that. My nurse came up with, a, with an interesting study. You know, they, all, they publish all these crazy studies, and they interesting study that they came up with. We're getting flu shots now. It's flu shot season. And she came up with a study that, that found that people that have a happy attitude when they get the flu shot have a higher antibody levels. <laughs> so I, I don't think we can explain all these things, but there's no question that people that have a positive attitude do better always with cancers or any kind of illness. And so I think that's, that's been proven multiple times.
2: So here's a question for you, Scott. And I hope it's 80 years until this happens to me. But I'm 50, so the odds are against that. I walk oh. into a doctor's office, and the doctor gives me a bad diagnosis, uh, whatever it is, and says, yes. you know, this, this could go good or it could go bad. I would suspect that most patients, I would certainly be one of them, would never even think about asking a doctor about, you know, I'd ask them, like, say it's cancer. Well, is it chemotherapy, radiation, surgery? What are my options here, doc? Prayer wouldn't be on my list of things to ask. Like, should I be doing this? In your practice, leaving aside the book for a second, the folks you talk to, but in your practice over all the years, how do you think doctors in general or nurse practitioners or whatever – would receive that kind of question from a patient who maybe is facing a a bad diagnosis. Um, If they were to ask him, well, you know, what do you think, doc? Like, can you have that kind of conversation? That's the kind of conversation I'd have with my wife or my best friend. I'm having trouble imagining it with my doctor because we have this view of them as white-coated gods almost. You Exactly. Um, As opposed to sometimes human beings who you can talk about the most spiritual or, or personal or emotional things. If you're a patient, Put yourself in the patient's shoes. How do you have that conversation?
4: Most patients, for most doctors, or for many doctors, that conversation would not go well. Doctors are busy. They want to get to the scientific end of things. And, and the spiritual thing is, is not on their radar, which is one of the reasons I wanted to write this book, because I want people, patients, and doctors both. To realize that there is a different side, there is another side of medicine that's not scientific. There are spiritual things in medicine that help us heal, that uh, may do that. A prayer may may do amazing things. So I'm hoping that as this book gets out more and more, that more people can talk to their doctor about spiritual things, and more doctors can talk to their patients about spiritual things.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, I hope it's 80 years until I have to have that conversation in any way, shape, or form. It's probably a lot closer than that. The, when you would talk to folks about these stories, I want to ask you specifically about the idea of near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. What kind of stories have folks told you about that? Uh, what are your thoughts about that, if any? And And how... How does that factor into all of this, the idea that people, when they're at the verge of death or, or perhaps even medically, you know, scientifically, we think they're dead, but then they come back, which does happen, yeah. and they come back with these stories of where they've been or being able to look down and see themselves in the operating table and all that sort of stuff. What were your thoughts before maybe you started looking into all of this about something like that, and what would your thoughts about that be maybe now, and have they changed?
4: Before I wrote the book and before I heard some of these stories, I really didn't think too much about near-death experiences. I thought maybe, you know, it's it's like there's, there's, there's not enough blood to the brain and people get this uh, tunnel, you know, and so forth. So I, I really wasn't convinced that that, that was a, a reasonable thing. But after listening to to the, these doctors that are my friends in many cases and, and doctors that I've known for many, many years that have had these experiences and they say to me, I can't explain it. I, all I know is I had this experience. I've never had uh, one since. And I, I know these are credible doctors that are just telling a story. And they're hesitant to tell the story because they're afraid that someone will think that they're a little bit on the, on the edge. Mm-hmm. So after hearing these stories... I'm a believer. I believe that there's some really unusual things that happen. And and one of the first stories that I heard that that really got me interested in this was from, from Dave Mokel, who is a, a very respected orthopedic surgeon, has a very successful practice. He's a great guy. He's a family guy. And he came up to me on the, on the floor of the hospital. He grabbed my arm and said, Scott, I've got this incredible story to tell you. And this was before I got interested in writing the book. And, and so I said, "Okay, Dave, tell me the story." And he said, "Well, I can't tell it to you here." And I said, "Why not?" And he said, "Well, it's, I think people think I'll, uh, they might hear me. They'll think I'm crazy." So we went into an empty patient room, and he, he said, I, "I Mary is a mutual patient. She was on the operating table. I was going to do her ankle surgery, and she arrested when, I, when we gave her the antibiotic. It was a cephalosporin antibiotic we gave her, and she had an anaphylactic reaction. Heart mm-hmm. stopped, eyes closed, not unconscious, no response to pain, no breathing. She was dead." And they called the code. Everyone rushed in from the other rooms. They started doing CPR. And one of the techs that was doing CPR that had red hair uh, under his operating room cap uh, was not doing CPR adequately enough. And Dave asked him to stop. And when he did, and he pushed him aside you because know, he was in charge of making sure that her life was going to be saved. So he started doing CPR, cracked, cracked, cracked a couple, couple of her ribs, unfortunately. But he was, he was doing adequate CPR. She was a big lady. And finally, after some adrenaline a few other things, she came back, but she didn't come back to consciousness. And the next day, she finally woke up, a cardiologist took over and it was, aware, it was clear that, that the antibiotic had caused her arrest. And when she was about ready to go home from the hospital, Dr. Dr. Moko wanted to give her some instructions on how to take care of her ankle. And she said, she interrupted him and said, Thank you for saving my life. And Dave's a humble guy. He said, It was just a team effort. Everyone pitched in. And she said, No, no. I saw you push that guy aside with the red hair and I saw you take over the CPR. And that's when I started to come back. And he huh. said, Well, how, he, he was just floored by that he had to sit down he couldn't couldn't even understand how this would happen and she said when I arrested I came I went my my body or something went up to the my spirit went up to the top of the room and I could see everything that was happening in in the operating room and while I was doing that I could see you paging Dr. Kobaba looking at the door hoping that he would come to help assist with the code and I wasn't in the hospital I saw the red guy the guy with the red hair being pushed aside and stumble away and she mentioned every minute little detail of that arrest and that resuscitation and he there were things that no one could have told her except that she was right there and and then she also said when I was when I was on the in the ceiling Looking down, my grandmother came to me and told me that I hadn't been a very good person in my life, and I needed to, to be a good person. And if there, if I was, then I would have a special place in heaven, that she would reserve a special place for me in heaven. Now, Mary was, a, was a, not a very nice person, I must say. She was my patient and Dr. Mogul's patient. And every time you saw her in the exam room, she'd have something bad to say about, you know, how you're late and how you didn't do the prescription correctly or whatever. But afterwards, she was a wonderful person. And she brought us cookies when she came in to the uh, to the office, and she took care of her for widowed father. And so it was like a Christmas Carol, where she totally totally changed. And uh, I I I said to Dave, you know, who who have you told this story to? And he said, well, no one. I told my wife, and that's it. I'm afraid to tell this story because people will think I'm crazy. So. After hearing some very credible doctors tell some bizarre and interesting and, and unusual stories that, don't, that they don't want to tell, uh, I began to believe that there's, you know, I, it strengthened my faith that there's something else out there that strange things can happen to us that we don't understand. And someday I think we will, but it leads me to believe uh, even more strongly than I did before that there is a force, there's a God, there's something higher than us that looks out for us and may help in in unusual and wonderful ways. Now, this is particularly
1: interesting because it's not just somebody who is dead briefly. Maybe you think they have hallucinations or something. This is somebody literally levitating and seeing what's going on and what they see going on is accurately described.
4: Exactly, Jean. And, And she really couldn't have listened to someone tell her these are such minute details that she had to observe them herself.
1: Now, I'm going to ask you in our next segment then, Scott, were there any other cases of a similar nature where somebody's either floating above the fray or at least can capture information they would not otherwise know? We have more with Dr. Scott Kaubaba and Gene Steinberg and Paul Kimball. You're in. The
2: cast of Para. (laughs)
0: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com.
3: Has your body ever gone low blood sugar, feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. In an
14: emergency, you need a fire. Now, but what if the wood is wet? No problem for InstaFire. Our non-toxic fire starter packs lights wet wood, floats, and can even burn on water or in any weather. Sustains winds up to 30 miles per hour, and each pouch weighs only 1.75 ounces. Need an emergency or camp stove? Get the InstaFire Inferno stove that boils 20 ounces of water in under 3 minutes with controllable heat. And temps from 425 to 1500 degrees. Free shipping. Go to InstaFire.com and use discount code RADIO30 at the 3 times for 30% off your order. InstaFire. Fire in an instant
0: welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's jane steinberg
1: yes this we have a medical professional here we'll talk about a cast next time i break my arm i've never broken a bone i shouldn't say anything about that though because you know next week it'll happen and then i'll be eating my words like that so scott in addition to this near-death experience floating above the fray, as they say that has happened in other cases i've heard about what about your experience
4: you know, I've never had an experience like that myself, and no other doctors uh, had a story like that. There were all kinds of other stories, but there were no other stories of a near-death experience with a person floating. I'm I'm sure that happens. I just happened uh, to pick a selected group of doctors, and, and these are the stories that I heard. So uh, that was the only near-death experience I've there are other experiences that are equally unusual. Dreams, premonitions, uh, uh, ghosts, uh, visions, things like that. But but uh, no other near-death experience that I, that I ran across. Speaking
1: of ghosts, we've got the guy here for you, Paul Kimball, being co-host of a show about ghosts called Haunted. Tell us the ghost story.
4: There were a couple of ghost stories that were really good. I think my favorite is uh, from from uh, uh, Jack Heitzler, who's a gynecologist obstetrician. He delivered our uh, let's see, our fourth, chi- third child, and that our third child is still walking and talking and alive and well. His story is that of his wife, who was in the delivery room delivering their fifth child. He had a number of children, and he was in the delivery room as was another gynecologist that was actually doing the delivery and uh, Joan was having some difficulty with the labor, and Joan's grandmother was a, a midwife. Her name was, uh, they called her Grandma Hanlon. And Grandma Hanlon came from, from Ireland when there, there was a lot of controversy with the, pre, with the uh, Catholics and the Protestants fighting, and her, her father sent her out of the country just because he, he wanted to uh, make sure that she was safe. So she came to this country, became a midwife, and she became the spiritual leader of the family. She would do crazy things, like uh, when she was taking the train into Chicago. She would have uh, sandwiches for the the beggars that would 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 come up to her, and and uh, and she'd even give them some monies uh, occasionally. And and people would laugh at her, and they'd say, you know, they're just going to use that to buy alcohol. And she would say, God wants me to 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 do this, and what they do with their money is is is, is their is their thing. And so she was quite a quite an individual, and then. When she became older, she she couldn't deliver babies anymore, so she lived with Joan's mother uh, in their house. And Joan would always say, if I could make it to Grandma Hanlon's lap, if she got in trouble with her mother, if I could make it to Grandma Hanlon's lap, i know I'd be safe. So Joan Joan was delivering their fifth child, accomplished the delivery, and everything went well. But then she started to have a a lot of pain after the delivery, and when they were doing some exploring and, and had to remove some of the placenta, things like that. So the normal thing to do in those days was to give a drug called Trilene, which is administered by masks. They put a mask over the woman's face, they give her Trilene, she falls into a deep sleep, and they're able to accomplish their things, and then they wake her up fairly soon afterwards. And so uh, Joan was about Ready to to get the trily, she was a little anxious about getting that. And Grandma Helen uh, came in the room uh, because she's a midwife, and she had access access to the room. And she stood at the foot of the bed, and she shook her head that that uh, Joan shouldn't take the trily. And she was dressed in her usual polka dot uh, little outfit, sweater vest, and her hair up in the bun, and old lady shoes. And and Joan saw her, and 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 the signal to to push the trialing away. Well, no one realized that Joan had eaten a large meal right before she went into labor. And about one minute after she pushed the triline away, which would have put her into a very deep sleep, she vomited the entire meal. Had she had the mask on her face, she would have had a very serious complication of aspiration, which sometimes can be fatal if it's very serious. So Joan said that, that she made it through Grandma Hanlon's lap one last time, overcoming time and all eternity, because Grandma Hanlon had died 20 years before that.
2: As we say in the ghost hunting business, spooky, but good spooky, because it saved your life.
4: It really did. It really did. So I love that story, and uh, it's that's quite a story. It's one of my favorites. Grab the grandma handling story.
2: So here's the hard question, Scott, because I have to ask at least one hard question. Then well, I have sure. an easy. Then I have an easy question afterwards. So we're talking about um, faith and unconditional love, and how. Uh, it can intervene and really save you, all that sort of stuff. Sure. <clears throat> Sounds great. Hope in a troubled world, as you say in your book, which yes. it it is getting more troubled with each passing day. So yes, here's the flip side though. Why is it a troubled world? <laughs> like if, why are all these people, you know, doctors among any, uh, above anyone else, except maybe police officers or first responders, see the worst in, especially emergency room doctors, can see the worst in society. So if there's the benevolent, all-loving God out there who can intervene in these positive ways, why do we have these negative stories? Stories in the first place do any and so when you were talking and i don't want to put you personally in the hot seat although although i am but when you were talking to a lot of these doctors does did this ever come up as you know how do you wrestle with this that there seems to be this positive force that can help folks but at the same time i mean six million dead in the holocaust i can just list the 20th century where was the positive force for them so how do how do you
4: reconcile that you know, I've struggled with this, and many doctors have struggled with the answer to that question. And I finally heard a TED Talk that gave me the answer to this. And the TED Talk was by a, by a minister from England. And it was a great talk. And he talked about how uh, some strange things happened, like the, the tsunami in, the, in Malaysia and, and, Tha- and Thailand, and how there was a church, for example, that, that normally would meet uh, on Sunday when, they, when the tsunami came on the beach. And, and for this for this one particular Sunday, they decided to have their church service in the mountains, where they were very safe. And and hundreds of people were killed and, and, and injured, and they were all safe. He said, well, why, why did that happen? Why did God or, or the universe or whatever you want to call it have those people go up in the mountain and the rest of the people were killed or, or hurt badly? His conclusion was uh, a very profound conclusion, and his conclusion was... We don't know. <laughs> and and that's my conclusion, Gene. I, I don't know why there are some people that are saved, why a person has a terrible cancer and suddenly miraculously cured. I've had that happen. I, I had a patient that had a terrible cancer. We put her in the hospital, she had cancer, a breast cancer in her around her heart, and her liver and her lungs, everywhere. And we said we she had all the chemotherapy, all the hormonal manipulations, all the radiation that she can get. We, she failed in everything. We sent her home, and I kept seeing her every month, thinking she's going to be in real trouble and die any minute. And I kept seeing her every month, and after about nine months, I thought, why don't we get some additional scans and find out what's going on here? And it was gone. The cancer was gone. So I can't explain that. I think someday we'll know, but I think there is bad in the world, and there's good in the world, and some people have miraculous things happen to them, and other people don't. I do know, I do believe that there's a place where we all go eventually uh, where we will learn why that is. And I think that place uh, is some some place that, that will give us peace and an understanding. But uh, for right now, all I can say is the answer is I don't know.
2: I often think about that place that can give me peace and understanding, and it usually winds up being Burger King for me. I really hope the afterlife is more interesting than Burger King uh, or Wendy's or McDonald's. No offense to those burger joints. There was a movie once. I forget who was in it. I know Meryl Streep was one of the people,
1: and I forget who was the star of the movie. But it ended up that they could eat whatever they wanted in this waste station between here and there. Uh And it wouldn't cause them any weight problem.
4: I want to go to that place.
2: <laughs> as somebody who has to host a television show, I want to go to that place, too. Put 20 pounds on from eating cheeseburgers. The irony is, by going to all those burger joints, I'm moving myself much more quickly to finding the answer to the question I just asked, <laughs> which is what lies beyond. Um, probably. so. And as I say that, I get a twinge in my upper left chest. Perfect. I'm sure it's a muscle pain. Another question I'd have in this one, there's a form user at, at Gene's show. They have a sort of online form, And he wrote in a diff- slightly different context, but when I was on talking about my uh, ghost hunting show, and he said, as a statement of fact, without equivocation, that life after death is impossible, period. Now, he's not a scientist, you are. So I thought, and I actually wrote this in the Paracast forms, I said, you know, so that's a non-scientist telling me that life after death is literally impossible. I thought I'd ask a scientist and a doctor who's dealt with this stuff, Do you think it's actually impossible that there might be life after death? And you know what? We can now break
1: and get the answer on the other side. With Scott, Gene, and Paul, you're in. The
2: Paracast.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
17: With nearly
6: 70 years of history engineering bunkers, today, Atlas Survival Shelters is still the authority. Atlas offers 18 different choices, from commercial tornado shelters to underground nuclear fallout shelters, starting at just $99.99, with 100% financing available, comfortable interiors, and state-of-the-art air filtration systems. Atlas Survival Shelters are the most popular private survival shelters in the world. Call
18: 1-855-4-BUNKER-NOW, or visit atlassurvivalshelters.com. It's been said, any society is only three missed meals away from chaos. Those times may be near. Think about it. Our country faces multiple terrorist threats and aggressions from Russia and North Korea. Social unrest and violent marches yet again may lead to looting of stores and city shutdowns. And our crumbling infrastructure leaves our power grid vulnerable to long-term outages from a single cyber attack. When the chaos from any one of these threats arises, the government knows it can't provide during a widespread national emergency. That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in. Get a four-week survival food supply for only $99. That includes breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Order online at preparewithgcn.com. 99 bucks for four weeks of survival food that tastes like homemade cooking and lasts up to 25 years. From My Patriot Supply, get your kits today at preparewithgcn.com. Free shipping is included. Preparewithgcn.com.
4: This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you?
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Okay, he's trying to bring out his inner Frank Sinatra there. Just trying to keep it fresh. And unfortunately, it stays in. I'm kidding. I will not comment about singing at all. Scott, you had the question there.
2: A yes.
4: response? Let me give you a story to answer that question, if you don't mind. I'm going to tell you a story from Noemi Sigalov. Noemi Sigalov is a general surgeon. She is unusual because she is a female surgeon, and traditionally, that's a male occupation. And when she tried to get into residency, everyone told her, that this is not for ladies and it's going to be too hard and so forth, which just which just cemented her determination to do that. And she is an excellent surgeon. She was the only female surgeon in her residency program uh, of about 35 males and one one female. And they made fun of her a little bit. They called her the girl, uh, but she did it and she she succeeded. And she's a great surgeon. And she tells a story about taking care of a couple missionary people ron was the the fellow's name they were both doctors and they they were missionaries in uh, central africa they operated on and and took care of lots and lots of the people in africa their whole life and when they finally had to retire they came back here and she was seeing the wife for for some medical conditions and surgical condition whenever they'd see her in the office they would say and she uh, dr sigalov admits that she doesn't have an organized religion she doesn't go to church but they would always ask her how she's doing spiritually. Some doctors would get offended by this, but the way they asked her, she said, was in such a kind, loving way that she was never offended. And one of the last visits they had together, the fellow, Ron, said, someday I'm going to show you that there is life after death, that that God exists and, and that there's something else when we leave the earth. And she said, that's that's nice. And, and you know, she was very kind and didn't make fun of him at all. So... They lost contact with each other, and uh, she never saw them again, but... One day, Dr. Sigalov was planning a, a three-day vacation to, to um, your neck of the woods, Jean. She was going to, to uh, Tucson. And she's going to leave early in the morning, but she had a case that night before because she was on call and had to operate real late at night, and, and so she had to make rounds really early in the morning because her flight was leaving later in the morning, and she had to see this person. So as she's going to the hospital, there was almost no one there. It was like four o'clock in the morning. And she opened the doors of the hospital, and as she opened the door, there was a blast of, of air that came at her, and just it's not unusual to have that happen but what she saw then in her mind's eye was a vision of ron and she hadn't thought about him or seen him for for years and he was dressed in white and he had a smile on his face and she said the smile was a smile that that made her believe that he had accomplished an incredible mission in his life and then she she was so taken back by this vision that she said hi friend and <laughs> and everything disappeared, and she looked around to make sure that no one heard her, no one saw her, because she was a little embarrassed that she would even talk to to nothing in the, in front of her. And she made her rounds, and she went on her on her trip, on her vacation, and and she never likes to check her email when she's on vacation because you know, there's always something that upsets you. So she shuts everything off. And when she was coming back in the airport in Tucson, she checked her email, and and there was an email. That, was, that gave her goosebumps. And the email said, was from the vice president of the hospital. It said, I, I regret to inform you that uh, Ron so and so, a good friend of the hospital, a longtime missionary, uh, died suddenly on Friday morning at 2 a.m. She made rounds at 4 a.m. and she saw his vision at 4 a.m. You ask me, uh, this is a responsible, uh, ordinary kind of a doc. Who has a vision of a person that had died, and then smiled as if he accomplished the major mission in his life to show her that there is something after 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 life, that there is a, a life after after death, and uh, she checked the records just to make sure that, he, that when he the, the, de- the date the time of his death, and it was 2 a.m., and she had made rounds and saw him at, at 4 a.m. So the answer to your question is, there is there life after death? I don't know if I can ever prove it for the 100% certainty, but some of these doctors have had some unusual experiences uh, that make me believe that there is something after after life.
2: Yeah, I hear a lot of those stories too, and not just... Doing the actually very not as often doing the ghost investigating show, but just throughout my career as an historian or studying folklore, just talking to folks. My grandfather was a Reformed Baptist minister. You hear those? You know, a lot of those stories sort of pop up, and people say that they they see people. They sort of to them it it emerges as proof of life after death. So can't prove it in court of law. So it takes it out of the beyond a reasonable doubt, but on the balance of probabilities, it becomes an interesting question to look at. I wanted to ask you about, if Gene's okay with that, about dreams, because you talk in your book, uh, or you talk to people in your book who talk about dreams. One of the stories that I found interesting, because I was involved in a car accident uh, many years ago when I was younger, I wrote about it in my own book, and how similar circumstances to what you describe in in your book, uh, Luis Manrique. Yes, uh, talks about uh, the chapter as if I had been buckled, and it sort of resonated with me because I kind of had a near death experience having to do with a car accident like that too. Uh, maybe you could tell the story of Luis Manrique because it also um, it also touches upon the concept of dreams and and how people maybe can see or hear things in their dreams that uh, that have an, a practical impact, if you will, in the real world.
4: Sure, Luis is an infectious disease doctor here at our hospital, and he's a great infectious disease doctor. And I use him all the time for various uh, pneumonias or whatever comes around that uh, I can't quite uh, feel comfortable handling. And he told me an interesting story. He was—he's from Peru, and it's interesting. In Peru, uh, they have to take a test to see if they're good enough to become uh, going to medical school. And I think there are like twenty thousand people that take this test every year, and it's something like eighty people that are chosen. I think 40 people are chosen to, to, uh, to, to be able to matriculate into medical school, and he was one of the 40, so he's a bright guy. And he was in, in medical school, and um, it was this is a, the book part of, of medical school, and it's really a lot of studying, and, and it's really, really rough. And he was unusually tired one night, and uh, he went to bed, and he, lived, he slept uh, in his own private bedroom, and he had his eyes closed. And then sometime in the middle of the night, he's not sure when, uh, he could see, you know, how even if your eyes are closed, you can tell that there's a light in the room. The light became brighter and brighter and brighter. Now, he was a little afraid to open his eyes <laughs> because he was afraid that this might be real. So he couldn't tell if it was real or if, he, if it was a dream. And then he heard this voice from behind him. And that was also unusual because his bed, the head of his bed, was against the wall. So this was a voice coming from, from where the wall was. And the voice was a, was a kind and loving kind of a voice. And the voice said, you'll be okay. You're not going to be hurt. He quieted his breathing down so he, he could hear the rest of the story. And there was no other, no other voice, no other words were said. And then the light seemed to fade away. And then he went back into a deep sleep. Now, he's not sure if that was a dream or if it was real, but again, he was afraid to open his eyes. And and later on, he said to me, I wish I would have opened my eyes to see what was going on, but I was afraid to open my eyes. This was so unusual. I'd never had this experience before. Well, the next day, he woke up. The dream was still with him. But you know how most dreams are. You realize that you've had this dream, it was kind of interesting, and then you forget about it. And so he forgot about the dream, and he was going to class. And this was a Friday, and 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 they were they had some tests, and it was a busy day. And the medical students decided that they'd go out for a couple beers at the local pub afterwards, and and celebrate the, the end of the week. And they had nothing going on the next day, so they did.
1: We'll have the rest of the story with Scott, Paul, and Jean. You're
2: in the Paracast. <laughs>
13: Kiyosaki, Rogers, and Schiff all concur there's an economic calamity that'll be facing this country. My question to you is, do you know when and are you prepared? Most people don't, but my friends over at Republic Monetary Exchange have been leading experts in precious metals to help you offset the coming economic collapse. Right now, for a limited time, they have a free book called The 10 Reasons You Should Own Gold. You simply need to give them a call at 888-772- 2929 to get that in your hands. Do not allow the insiders to do what they did to you in 2008 putting your iras 401ks and savings in jeopardy you need this book and you need it now the 10 reasons you should own gold call 888-772-2929 that's 888-772-2929 there's a reason that the largest investment banking company in the world jp morgan just purchased another 50 million ounces of silver this free book will explain it 888-772-2929.
12: Investing is a long-term process. How many times can you think of in the last decade that the stock market has destroyed retirement funds for people just like you and me? For your existing IRA, you need the security that gold has provided for centuries. Remember, gold has never been worth zero. Capital Gold would like to introduce you to the Home Storage Gold IRA. It's a self-directed IRA set up with all the protection and tax benefits of an LLC. But the big difference in this IRA is you invest in gold and you hold it in your possession. You can't do that with stocks. That's security. You can transfer any type of IRA hassle-free in days. Please call right now and learn more, and we'll waive the $500 setup fee and give you a free safe to store your gold. 800-535-7789. 800-535-7789. 800-535-7789. That's 800-535-7789.
19: Message and data rates may apply.
8: Oh my gosh, that's Frank Thomas. No. Yes, that's him. Go ahead. Excuse me, are you Frank Thomas? Yes, I am. I bet you get recognized a lot.
20: I was a pretty good ball player.
8: You were?
13: Some people thought so.
8: Sorry, we recognize you from those Nugenics commercials.
13: Oh yeah? That's
1: great.
8: So does Nugenics really work?
1: Oh yeah, I really can feel the difference. My workouts are better and I feel a lot more energetic.
8: I wish my husband would use Nugenics.
1: It's so easy to get started.
20: All you have to do is send one simple text. Text the word PRIME44 to 424. 424 for a complimentary bottle of award-winning Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Its unique man-boosting formula is powered by testophen, a patented key ingredient clinically researched to help a man feel stronger, leaner, more energetic, and more passionate.
1: And you're going to like the difference too.
20: Text PRIME44 to 42424 for a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. Samples are not available in stores. Text PRIME44 to 42424.
11: Hi, this is Bryce Abel I'm the producer of Dark Skies the co-author of AD After Disclosure and you are listening to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: We continue here with Dr. Scott Kaubaba And the book is called Physicians' Untold Stories. And he's telling us a fascinating tale now. And we started with this group of people going out and maybe having a couple of beers to relax. Scott, continue, please.
4: So these are medical students, and they're always exhausted. So after a couple beers, you can imagine how exhausted they were. They're half asleep, and they can't keep up with their friends. So they decide to leave you know, fairly early. And after a couple beers, they're not used to drinking beers because they're studying all the time, and so they're a little on the high side. And, and when they got out into the uh, cold air... They woke up a little bit, and and they opened the windows and started to yell and had a a good time. And they had a designated driver, but the designated driver had 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 as many beers as they had, so it's not clear why they had a designated driver. Anyway, the designated driver, Manuel, was was driving the car, and they got a little silly. They were crossing a viaduct, and and as they were crossing this, this bridge... That Manuel started to swerve back and forth, just having fun, and, and Luis uh, was in the passenger seat and became a little afraid, and he decided to, to buckle up. So Manuel, in an uh, in an unusual voice an unusual manner, said, "You don't need to buckle." And Luis was was taken aback by the sudden suddenness of his words and and the the force with which he said that, because that's, that wasn't like him at all. And so he released the buckle immediately. Well, about two seconds after that, Manuel came to a sudden turn and he couldn't navigate the turn. So the car rolled over. And those are the last words that Manuel was able to speak because the door of his, the the driver's side door, flew open. He was ejected out and he died a couple days later in the hospital. The car rolled over multiple times. And when it came to a stop, uh, Luis was actually pushed over into the driver's seat. And he looked over to where he was sitting, uh, the passenger side, and the entire top of the car was crushed down into the passenger seat. Had he been sitting there, he would have been crushed to death. Had he been buckled, his life would have been over. And he had goosebumps when he realized what had happened. Well, the other people in the back of the car were were still there. And and so Luis decided to to get out and, and run to the nearest station police or i think it was a fire station to get some help so he ran there got the fire department they he took them back to where the car was they helped the people that were injured in the back of the car and he sat on the curb and then he suddenly realized he looked around and one of the paramedics came to him and said can i help you are you hurt and he looked at his arms he looked at his legs there were no cuts no scratches nothing he was covered with glass from from the windshield but he was not hurt at all and suddenly he remembered. His dream from the night before, that he would not be hurt. And he again had goosebumps, realizing that he had, must have been visited by some visitor that came from somewhere that, that we don't normally communicate with, that told him that he was not going to be hurt at all. And he went back home, and he's a very religious kind of an individual, and he got on his knees right away and said a prayer thanking his father, uh, and his Heavenly Father, for saving his life and not having him injured, uh, be injured at all. Unfortunately, Manuel died, was ejected from the, from the car. So uh, he still doesn't know exactly whether this was a dream or not a dream, but uh, it was something that he never experienced before or since.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. If you spend enough time talking about particularly in the Atlantic-Canadian region in which I live, but there's a reason Stephen King wrote you know, so many novels set in Maine. It's embedded in our folklore and our mythology here. The idea of forerunners, as we would mm-hmm. call them, uh, other cultures have different names for them. They can appear to you in dreams, or they can appear to you in waking dreams, or in all sorts of synchronicities, or deja vu, all sorts of weird things. They mm-hmm. give you this... This idea of something that's coming, usually traumatic, frankly, uh, you rarely get a forerunner saying you're going to win the lotto, uh-huh. but um, this idea that that these stories are embedded in our, our tradition, our history, and to hear doctors talk about them, you know, scientists, is, is sort of a, a bit of an interesting, not culture shock for me, but just a shock, we'll say a shock. I'm a former musician. I'm a former lot of things. So when I was younger, I, I uh, left the practice of law behind to play in a rock band. And so your chapter music in the emergency department, is it Robin Mraz? Is that how yes. you would say his last name? Uh, yeah. um, I like that one. And perhaps you could tell that story. I also hate that one because it, brings in my fear of any medical procedure, because (laughs) a simple procedure that goes very, very badly that you wouldn't, you know, in the aftermath expect. So that one frightens me. But the story's fascinating. And I love it because there's a musical angle to it. But it also talks about this idea of of a place beyond death. Perhaps you could tell that story because it's really, it's actually a pretty fun and uplifting story, except for the one part that, that I hate
4: in answer to your, to your former comment too, Paul, you know, the book is all physicians. Mm-hmm. And I did that on purpose because physicians traditionally have been scientists. And to have scientists tell stories that are totally unscientific uh, really is is uh, interesting to me. And uh, I think it lends, lends some credibility to, to these stories because these are people that that believe in science. They have believe in scientific method. We talk about, uh, you know, doing evidence-based medicine and, and giving first people medications and so forth based on evidence that has accumulated over the years. This particular thing works and this one doesn't and so forth. So it was very interesting for me to have so many doctors come out with stories that are totally unscientific and you can't be can't be explained by by science alone. Mm-hmm. The one about music in the emergency room was was, uh, was one of my my favorites. Robin Mraz, One of the things I learned uh, in, in talking with these docs is some of their their history. Uh, the doctors have are fascinating individuals. Robin Mraz is an emergency room doc. She's a female and she always wanted to be an er doc because there's a lot of adrenaline in the er and she loves to be in this situation that's life and death and if you make the wrong decision you're in real trouble uh-huh. and so she loves that that excitement in the in the er she also is an interesting individual because she uh, runs the marathon about her second or third marathon and she she's an individual that that believes in making a goal and if she 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 is insistent upon achieving that goal and she'll do everything to achieve that goal and one of her marathons was a particularly hot day and she got to about mile 20 and she got dehydrated she threw up and she lost her vision and she said she said to me when i lost my vision i knew there was something seriously wrong (laughs) and so she stopped running obviously she sat down cooled off got her blood pressure back, evidently, got some some liquids. Her, her husband came to her and said, it's time to go home. And she said, no, I'm finishing this marathon. And she got her vision back. She got hydrated, and she indeed did, did finish the marathon. So that's the kind of individual that we're dealing with here in the ER. So she tells a story about Cleveland, who is a, a fellow that had renal failure. And when you have renal failure, you, you are in dialysis quite commonly, and, and that's what he was getting ready for. And there's a procedure where they connect an artery and a vein in the wrist. Or in the arm to use the, uh, for the dialysis, and he had this procedure done, and, and uh, the artery is the, the high-pressure system. So. Uh, what happened was one of the one or two of the stitches came loose in his surgery, and he started to bleed. And this is a pumper. You know, the the, the artery is a pumper. So when, when you have a, a hole in the artery, every time the, the heart pumps, you pump blood out. So he was rapidly losing blood. His wife came into the living room where he was. The living room was covered with blood. She called the paramedics, and they take, took him right to the hospital. By the time he got to the hospital, he was white as a ghost, and he was unconscious, and he had no blood pressure. And Dr. Mraz knew that he, because they radioed ahead, that he had no blood pressure when they found him. And she thought, this guy's dead. But she had an experience in a residency where a person had come back when they got enough blood. So she said, let's give it a try. Let's, let's see if we can resuscitate him. They put about two or three IVs in, big bore IVs. They, they squeezed the blood in, and they gave him a bunch of blood. And after a couple hours, he woke up, and he actually came back and his first words were uh, very interesting. He said, take me back to that room that has the music. And Dr. Ross said to him, uh, Cleveland, we don't play music in the emergency room. And he went on. Then Robin looked at the nurse, and they both knew what was going on. And he went on to describe this, this room that was white, that was beautiful, it had this unusual music with instruments that he'd never heard before. And that he wanted, it was so peaceful, he wanted to go back to that room to listen to that music again.
1: Let's break it here and learn more about the place with the music. With Scott and Paul and Gene, you're in
2: The Paracast.
10: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's
11: Pro-Pure water filters, most trusted, most tested. Right now, you can save 25% on the Pro-Pure Nomad Gravity System. Visit an authorized Pro-Pure dealer for details. That's P-R-O-P-U-R. Advertising your business with GCN is simple, effective, and more affordable than you might think. Visit advertise.gcnlive.com for more info. Take your business to the next level. That's advertise.gcnlive.com.
20: Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. $39.95 plus shipping and handling. Use discount code GCN and receive 15% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter and get your Bug Assault today.
3: This is Jacques Vallee.
4: You're listening to the Powercast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: I thought Paul would burst into song there, but he won't. We've got another radio show for you to listen to called After the Powercast, where we never know what's going to happen next. We continue this show. We have other guests. All sorts of unexpected things. It's also part of the Paracast Plus package. We give you the version of this show free of the network ads and more features for low subscription price. For more information, go to plus.theparacast.com, dot stheparacastcom Scott, you're telling us a story here where he remembers this room with the strange music. Go on, please.
4: So... Uh, Cleveland was actually mad at uh, Dr. Mraz that he couldn't go back to that room, and um, he also was mad at his wife. and And uh, he said to his wife, "You know, uh, where did you bring me?" And and she she said to him, "Where the heck do you think I brought brought you? I brought you right to the hospital." Hmm. So he really couldn't believe that was the case and uh, was a little skeptical about where she actually brought him but uh, Robin and the nurse that took care of him uh, have a pretty good idea that he wasn't on earth when he was hearing that music there was something else and he was probably uh, dead when he heard that music and then came back and he wanted to he still wanted to stay in that room where the music was so beautiful I kind of like the story.
2: Yeah so do I and it's sort of it opens up a whole wide range of debates with a ton of friends of mine about what kind of music we'll be playing for us when we. So, I've, you know, one friend might be listening to Beethoven, another one might be listening to the Ramones. Sure. Um, so, if you wind up in the, you know, in hell, the one who wants to listen to Beethoven could wind up with the Ramones and vice versa, <laughs> which would be using music for both good and evil. Uh,
4: good observation, Paul. Yeah,
2: it's also, I mean, if I had to go to hell, I could probably listen to music that I don't want to listen to as opposed to some of the alternatives. That's maybe not so bad. How has your book been received by doctors who are not in your book, if you know what I mean? Like people you work with, but also maybe reviewers or people within the medical community. How have they looked at it?
4: I was really worried about the res- response I would get because I thought people would say this, you know, these are kind of hokey stories and, and these are kind of bizarre and, and you know, what kind of a doctor are you? And I'm not going to go to you anymore because you believe in this crazy stuff. And just the opposite happened, Paul. I, I really, uh, it, was, it was surprising. And when it started to happen was when we launched the book. We had a number of the doctors, not everyone showed up, but we have quite a few of the doctors that were in the book show up for the launch. And they were treated like heroes, like they had the courage enough to come out with stories that many people have. And I think in telling these stories to patients, because I love to tell stories, and I always tell my patients some of these stories, and it's, a, it's surprising to me that many people have had similar experiences. And when they hear a story like this, they say, thank you for coming out with these stories or this story, because now I don't feel so bad about telling my story. And then, then they're, they're telling me their story about a miraculous experience, too. And I think, uh, just from my limited experience with, with telling stories and, and listening to people, my, my suspicion is that most people or most families have had a story like this, and they're afraid to tell anyone. And my the response that I've had from patients, from doctors, from everyone, is incredibly positive. Thank you for coming out with these, these stories. Thank you for sharing uh, this with us. I feel so much uh, more hopeful about life. I'm more optimistic. Uh, it helps me deal with the death of my mother. Thank you for having these courageous doctors actually put their names on these stories and admit that, that they had these unusual experiences that, that no one had, has admitted to before. It, Did any of the doctors
1: whose stories you quoted report to you any experiences from people who read the book?
4: You know, they're universally positive. I don't think I've had one doctor say they, they had any negative comments at all. Yeah, I was very surprised. I was very surprised about that. And I think that speaks to the fact that, again, many people have these experiences also, and they feel good that these scientists have, have come out with, with uh, stories that uh, you can't explain scientifically.
2: Okay, here's another one of those tough questions, Um, or theoretically tough, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But we live in an age where science is under attack, and it's becoming harder and harder in some cases, and and I won't talk about American politics, but in Canada, we had a government here for 10 years that those of us who are progressive certainly saw an attack on science, a muzzling of scientists, and this idea that we live in a, even though we're moving forward in terms of all our technology and everything and the things we can do, we're sort of becoming As a society, less scientific, if you will. Is there a danger? No, let me not phrase it like that. How do you reconcile the two in terms of making sure that while these stories can be told and they should be told, and they can be hopeful and uplifting and all that sort of stuff yeah. Yeah. that you don't have people going out and saying, you know what? My doctor prescribed me, uh, you know, a statin for high blood. Or, no, statins go for cholesterol. I can't remember. Cholesterol. That's why That's why I didn't go. I used to be on them. That's why I didn't go to medical school. I couldn't remember these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, or my after surgery, my doctor told me this or frankly, my doctor wants me to undergo chemotherapy for cancer and i think i'm just going to pray it away that's a sort of a fine line to walk or a you know a narrow needle hole if you will the thread so how do we balance those two as we tell these stories but also um, don't undermine the science that that underlines medicine
4: these are great questions this is a this is a phenomenal question because uh it 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 speaks about uh these doctors that have had these experiences and what you know will they do something unusual when a person comes in with a particular uh, illness and and will they say let's just pray over it and and not treat with with conventional medicine and i think virtually all the doctors including myself Believe in the scientific method and in science, and believe that that um, if a person has a high cholesterol and and they're at risk for heart disease, you treat them with a, a statin, and that will help. And 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 so, but there are times when you have a premonition or a feeling or something that you just can't explain, and you try to balance that with science and try to listen to that. My my partner, for example, John Bourne, uh, will frequently uh, tell me that, that after he sees a, a person, he may have this funny premonition or funny feeling that he needs to do something. And unless it's really bizarre or crazy, he'll frequently listen to that, that voice, to that little premonition. And one of the cases was a, a person that had a, a he was pre opting for a total joint surgery and he had a feeling after he did the pre-op and after the fellow went home that he needed the stress test, and so it wasn't too out of the realm of of normal to to do a stress test because he had a few risk factors, and so they tried to convince the guy to do a stress test, and the fellow refused, and he he finally said, well, I'm not going to clear you unless you have a stress test. Well, he had a stress test. He failed the stress test badly. needed a bypass surgery. He might have died in his his, uh, orthopedic surgery if he hadn't had the stress test, so I think it's important that we balance things that virtually all the doctors that I've dealt with that are in this book believe in science and believe in in doing the conventional straight-arrow things in medicine. But there are some things that you just can't explain and some feelings that you get that you just can't ignore. And I think we all have those. And the point in the book is listen to those, and if they make sense, maybe you should pay attention to some of that stuff. Maybe there's a dream that you had that uh, is trying to tell you something. But uh, as a fine line, Paul, you're absolutely right between conventional medicine and something that uh, is way off. And again, again most of the doc- virtually all the doctors in this book believe in conventional medicine, but they still believe that there may be something else out there that that may help us uh in our day-to-day lives and in our day-to-day diagnosis sometimes you said most of the
1: doctors believe in conventional medicine
4: they all do they all do do.
1: okay so we don't have any chiropractors here we don't have people who do acupuncture or anything
4: i mean uh none of the doctors in the book do that but i think acupuncture has its place i think uh chiropractic has a uh, has its place. Uh, there's a chiropractor in the book uh, that, uh, that does a great job with some patients. So there's lots of different kinds of medical treatments that uh, do do work.
2: Yeah, I have friends, actually my wife goes to a chiropractor and I, some, I sometimes t- tease her, you know, the Homer Simpson episode where he becomes a chiropractor and he just throws <laughs> people on trash cans. And I say, eh, but it works for her. She swears by it. So mm-hmm. um which the Homer Simpson re- thing reminds me, too, when I was asking you about religion earlier, the great Homer Simpson line, as his car's going over a cliff, he just says, Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all, uh, to sort of cover all of <laughs> the <his bases>, faces, <laughs> just in case.
1: Of course, I've gone to a chiropractor, too, and Consumer Reports magazine did a survey on the efficacy of different medical practices and said that, you know, in certain cases, chiropractic does work, and certainly, if anything else, it's a lot less invasive than certain types of surgery where there is <laughs> no predicting what might happen at least you can try this first we've sure, got I agree. doc? what'd you say i agree okay dr scott kalbaba with jean and paul
20: you're in we're in the Paracast. <laughs>
1: stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.thepowercast.com stop by and take a shopping tour.
9: Dr. Carolyn Dean wants you to have a free chapter of her new book, The Magnesium Miracle, Second Edition, and it's available at MagMiracle.com. In your free chapter, Dr. Carolyn Dean explains how magnesium is essential to support the structure and function and overall health of your body. Your free chapter is your guide to learn how to support your heart, bone, metabolic, lung, and mental health with this powerful mineral. The Magnesium Miracle, Second Edition, is available on Amazon, but right now get a free chapter at MagMiracle.com, spelled M-A-G, Miracle.com
0: welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's gene steinberg
1: we're in something or other now obviously the skeptics are going to come out and maybe say a couple of crazy things scott so i'm going to ask you In looking over stories here, and we'll get to some more in a moment, did you ever run across anybody who might just be the kind of person who likes to tell stories just to look impressive or gets a kick out of it?
4: Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I've been in this business for a long time. I I know the docs in the area. I know these docs that tell the stories. There are several doctors that like to tell stories and like to exaggerate a little bit. And I stayed way away from those doctors because I wanted something that was very credible. And this, the doctors that, that I included in the book are just ordinary, routine doctors that have successful practices that have no reason to tell a, a, tall, a tall tale.
1: Did you have a chance at all or consider talking to the patient involved to get a slant from them on it?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. When When I could, I would Con- contact the patient sometimes I had a, a tough time finding the finding the patient I had one patient that had an amazing experience uh, that uh, uh, was cured with with uh, end-stage multiple sclerosis uh, Barb Kaminsky and I had trouble contacting her to, to get her story and well, what she experienced And about a couple days uh, before the manuscript was due, and I'd been writing her and calling her and various numbers that I had around the country, and nothing, nothing, nothing. And a couple days before the manuscript was due, I got a phone call. And who was on the phone but Barbara Kaminsky. And she said to me, I I got your letter about six months ago, and I've been meaning to call you uh, and contact you because I think you were doing some stories about me. And I just happened to to decide to call you tonight <laughs> and so there are some fun funny coincidences or strange coincidences that 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 did happen right in the book and, and that was one of them so I where, I where it was possible i tried to contact all the individuals involved with the story to get all the sides
2: here's a question for you scott when you were doing all these interviews and you say you left uh, a number of stories out so far all of them positive These all have happy endings or at least, you know, hopeful resolutions. Were there any stories? And as a ghost investigator, and I use those that term in quotation marks, I just play one on TV. But sometimes you'll go into a place and the people that are in the allegedly haunted house will say, oh, everything's friendly. Our spirits love us here, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, Mm -hmm. cool. Going to have a great night tonight. This will be fun. And it turns out sideways on us and we have a terrible experience, frightening, terrifying. So when you're talking to these doctors or these patients, are there experiences that you've heard that are actually um, frightening and maybe don't have a good resolution? Um, And how did that, if so, how did that factor into your research?
4: I was expecting to hear some stories like that, but I really didn't hear very many stories that were frightening or or um, upsetting or or emotionally disturbing. There was one story about a little girl that I really couldn't. The family didn't want me to put in the book uh, that that died, and the story was about her death and and her experience with with being uh, touched by angels. But universally, I didn't find any very serious seriously negative. Uh, stories. I talk with one of the palliative care doctors who deals with death and dying all the time, and she's she's been in the practice about twenty years. And I said, you know, universally, the stories you're, t- you're telling me are very positive. And and you know, have you run across any frightening stories where people are 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 you know uh, seeing the devil or or flames or things like that? And she said, almost never. She said, my experiences with people that are dying have almost universally been positive. Also. And I was surprised at that. And, and the stories that I've gotten, none of them were, were frightening or, or disturbing. And so um, I guess that's just, maybe I've got a skewed sample of stories, but that's just what, what uh, I, I experienced and what I had, what I listened to.
1: A general life after death question. Do you think that people who are about to die have a sense that life's about to end? I'll tell you why I feel that in a moment.
4: Yes, I do. In, in many cases, people, uh, I don't know what it is, but they, they have a sense that, that they're going to die. And uh, not everyone, but I think that it's not uncommon that people will have that. And I've, I've seen lots of people at the end of their lives, uh, and lots of people that aren't in the book, obviously. But uh, I think that there's a sense that, that they're, they're about ready to, to die. Yes.
1: The example I'll give you is my father. Now, the day before my birthday, this is 1988, September 8th. Get a call from him that night. And normally we talk on the phone like two minutes. Let's have dinner
9: this Mm -hmm. weekend.
1: How are things going? He was a man of few words then. In person, he'd speak a lot, but not so much on the phone. So this particular time, the conversation seemed to go a lot longer, like 10, 12 minutes, whatever, where he just seemed to want to be reassured I was okay. And our son, who at that point was like two years old, and he was okay Mm -hmm. and everything. And that Barbara was okay, my wife. And then the next day, he's playing cards with his friends at some kind of seniors community center. And he had been pretty healthy up till then, Uh just shy Uh of his 79th birthday on my birthday. And he just keels over and dies. So I thought, you know what? He knew that night, the night before he was going to go that day.
4: I think that happens. There's a story in, in my book about that very thing. There's Patrick Fenner, who's an expert cardiologist, uh, was in his residency. And uh, he was very busy. Uh, he didn't have time to, to deal with family things very up, very much because he, he was just so busy. And one day, uh, and this is before cell phones, one day he got a call when he was off. And this, this is the first day he was off for, for months, literally. And it was a Saturday. He was sitting around and he got a call from his mother. That's it's unusual that his mother would call him because she always knew that he was busy and she could never get a hold of him because there was no cell phone. And, and to call his apartment would almost be fruitless because he was never there. He was always working. But this day he was there. And she said things that they never talked about before. And and she, she said to him, uh, Patrick, I think I've not been a good mother to you. And Patrick uh, said to her, Mom, you are the most phenomenal mom I can imagine. She went to every single one of his basketball and football games through high school and everyone through college. He was quite an athlete. She was always there for him. And he told her that and they told her some things that they never would talk about before and she just had a surgery she just had a gallbladder surgery and she was recovering at home and doing just fine there was no no big big issue and they talked for a long time and normally they couldn't talk for a long time because of his because of his residency he was so busy and they talked maybe for an hour and when they hung up just before they hung up she said to him Patrick thank you for for talking to me like this we we've never you've never told me this that you love me so much and that you appreciated all the things that I did for you, and I feel so much better now. And she hung up, and about two hours later, Patrick gets a call uh, from his, his sister. Your mother just died. She had a massive pulmonary embolus when she walked into the bedroom and died of a, of a pulmonary embolus from the surgery. And he couldn't believe it, but he just talked with her for two hours ago. And so there's a couple things in that story. One is, why would she call him at that very particular time, why would he happen to be home and be able to talk to her for an hour when he normally wouldn't have talked to her at all? Except for once a week, they have a short conversation. And then, why would she bring up those very deep feelings just before she died, and that he was able to reassure her? And, and you know, why would why would all this happen? And it, it, it made, a, made a great story. And, you uh, you've got to believe that there's something else that helps us uh, along our way at times when we're when we're in real trouble or we're feeling bad. And uh, he helped us, you know, I, I think Patrick said, my mother always helped me in my troubled times when I was growing up, and now I helped her in her transition from life to eternity.
2: One of the things, it's interesting that story, one of the things I think that folks get from reading your book, and you know, I'll just say flat out, if you're a skeptic and you don't believe in any of this stuff, well, you might still get something out of reading the book. And here's what I would think they would get, I would hope. You have 20 seconds, precious. Paul. You have 20 seconds. Sure. Go ahead. Watch me wrap it up like a pro. That life is precious and that you know, moments matter and that we need to pay attention to the people around us. That really came through your In your book to me uh, as much as the stories. Once again, the
1: book is called Physicians Untold Stories. Our guest, Scott Kalbaba, MD, with Gene and Paul.
13: You're in. The Paracast.
12: Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 700 2979. 855 700 2979. 855 700 2979. That's
7: 855 700 2979. Hello, Mr. Anderson. The NSA has noticed how much time you spend on conservative news sites. We have no choice but to consider you a domestic terrorist. Tired
13: of your internet activity being monitored by Big Brother? Get
7: virtualshield.com. The world's easiest to
13: use virtual private network. Browse the web anonymously, leaving pesky advertisers and spies in the dust. Get started today at virtualshield.com. Take advantage of our free 30-day trial.
16: Virtualshield.com. You have the right to remain private.
8: If you're a sleep apnea sufferer who's on the go, go to your phone and call right now to try the world's first portable mini CPAP device, absolutely risk-free for 10 restful nights. It's the Transcend Mini CPAP, an engineering marvel that's as small as a soda can and weighs less than a pound. Its unique design is so small and so light, you can fit it in your briefcase or purse to use anywhere you go. No more dragging around a big, bulky CPAP. Even better, now you can try Transcend absolutely risk-free for 10 restful nights by calling minicpap.com, 1-800-962-4276. Transcend is FAA-compliant, too, so you can even sleep comfortably while flying. You can also add a battery pack that's as tiny as a deck of cards. So now you can enjoy the freedom to sleep comfortably anywhere. But don't wait. To receive your 10-night in-home trial, call minicpap.com now, 1-800-962-4276. That's 1-800-962-4276.
7: Anytime, place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at gcnlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at gcnlive.com.
1: We progress with all sorts of fascinating stories here and many of them uplifting about people who are ill, people who might have died, people who briefly die. Any story that you've encountered in this book or stories that maybe will appear in a future book just leave you frightened at all, frightened to death over what happened. Anything at all?
4: Let's see. I think most of the stories that I have really are more uplifting than they are frightening there are some frightening experiences people have had but i'm thinking about you know as docs we like to make the right diagnosis and we like to make sure that we're doing the right things and one of the worst things that can happen and one of the most frightening things that can happen to a doctor is to make the wrong diagnosis and have a person die and that is that stays with you forever and I can think of one patient that we took care of that my partner admitted to the hospital. It was interesting. You know, all the disasters seem to happen on Friday, Friday afternoons when you're t- trying to get away. And my partner was trying to go on a little, little weekend trip. The, the wife is usually sitting at home wondering when the heck you're going to get home. And she's a little mad because you're, you're late again. And that was the case with him. He had a patient show up in the ER with wheezing and asthma. And she'd had an experience where she was living with her daughter and she had asthma for a long time. And The daughter had cats and dogs and was, was a smoker. And we always, we, he told her that if she if he, she lives with her daughter, she's going to have an asthma attack because of all the stuff that she's exposed to. And sure enough, she had an asthma attack. And so she's in the ER and the ER doc wanted to send her out and thought she was fine. But Dr. Bourne just wanted to take a look at her and see how she was. And despite having to leave that evening, with a wife that's mad at him already because he was late, showed up in the ER to check her out and see if she was okay. And sure enough, he thought, you know, I, I, it'd be really easy to send her home. I wouldn't have to do all the work of admitting her and so forth. But he said, there was something I, I just needed to admit her to the hospital. So he did. He admitted to the hospital with an asthma attack. She took off on the weekend. We we split calls. So I do the weekends that he's gone, and, and we flip-flop weekends. So I was on call that weekend, and I saw her on that Saturday morning, and she had a typical asthma attack, and she was still wheezing a little bit, but she was a little, quite a bit better from the night before. So I cut back some of her medications. I thought maybe I'll be able to send her home tomorrow, and we'll see how she does. I saw her the next day, and she was worse. I kicked myself for stopping some of the medications, reducing them, and thinking, you know, I I probably should have, you know, kept her on some of the medication, but you never know, you, you make a judgment call. When I walked in the room to see her, she was on the phone. And most times when the when the doctor walks into the room, patients usually hang up and say, I've got to go, the doctor's in the room, you know, and that's kind of nice because that saves you some time. But she didn't hang up on this on this individual and, and so I I sat in the room for for a little bit. And you know, when a person's on the phone, you don't want to be like you're listening to the conversation. So, you you know, you you try to look at something else and look away. And I didn't know what to do with my hands. I was sitting on my hands. And you know how you feel uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, she closed her eyes and was very quiet. And her quietness lasted, it probably was at least two minutes. It seemed like hours. And she was on the phone and not saying anything with her eyes closed. And then she said, thank you and hung up the phone. And I talked with her. And while while she was on the phone, I was thinking, you know, does she really have asthma or maybe there's something else going on here and maybe I need to maybe we should look for something else. And I, then I'd say, no, no, this is a typical asthma attack. She was exposed to dust and and, and dander and, and smoke. And this is a typical asthma attack. And my other side of my brain would say, no, maybe we should look at something else. And I went back and forth like that. And I finally decided to order a blood test called the D-dimer. A D-dimer is a test that we do for blood clots. And I thought maybe, you know, it's outside possibility. We'll just order the D-dimer and reassure myself. So, I saw her, listened to her, started some of medications, and I ordered the D-dimer test. About an hour later, I got a call from the nurse. D-dimer the testing is normally 0 to 300 is the range, and hers was 1,800. And the D-dimer, uh, when it's that high, tells you there's a clot somewhere in the body. So I immediately ordered a lung scan, a CAT scan of her lungs, to see if she had blood clots. And sure enough, she had, was full of blood clots. It wasn't an asthma attack at all. It was pulmonary emboli that were life-threatening. And I wouldn't have made the diagnosis had I not thought to order the D-dimer. And I called her up, and I said, Sharon, I'm sorry to, to say that, you know, you don't have asthma. You've got blood clots. And and, and she said, well, I know you'd make, I knew you'd make the diagnosis. And I said, why? And she said, when you were in the room, my minister was on the phone, and we prayed together. That's why I closed my eyes. And I know you were uncomfortable, but I, I, I wanted to pray with him. And he prayed that you would come up with the right diagnosis right then and—, and uh, know how to treat me. And sure enough, uh, that's when I decided to order the D-dimer and we made a diagnosis. As soon as we started her on blood thinners, within a day or two, she was fine. And we got her out of the hospital in three or four days and and she has had no problems since and no asthma.
1: So the cure for this or the controlling mechanism is the blood thinner. Yes,
4: it is. Yes, it is. So it was a kind of a frightening thing for me to think, had I not done that, she probably would have died. And so here we're treating a lady in the hospital for asthma who really had blood clots and so that was one of the, one of the frightening things that, that happened happened to me
2: yeah I, no it's very it's very frightening to me too because i just the these are the horror stories i prefer the uplifting stories of how it all worked out and that worked out too but yes. the stories i have friends who are doctors and they'll tell you mm-hmm. the same thing Everybody makes mistakes. The difference between a filmmaker making a mistake and a doctor making a mistake is like the difference between night and day. So I'm glad you're the doctor and I'm the <laughs> filmmaker. That idea of how you would live with, like if you really made a big mistake and how, as you say, that would stay with you for your, I would think, for your entire life.
4: And some doctors just can't deal with that. And they, and they leave practice when they make a mistake like that. Those are horrible, horrible mistakes that, that are sometimes made. And fortunately, I haven't had a major disaster like that. But that is a frightening thing to think about, that if you let your guard down a little bit and slip up, that something could happen that was very frightening. Uh, so th- fortunately, Sharon, I think, uh, had some help from above. I call that my three-way conversation with heaven.
2: Right. Um, like a party line in the old days. Exactly. So, And that's why the stories are... Like, I've heard a lot of people tell a lot of stories, and I always find them interesting, whether I believe them or not. Sure. But going back to that idea, these are people who are literally whole life and death in their hands in many cases. It, like the emergency room story with the Cleveland, right? Right. Uh, so a doctor who's really on the front lines. And these are people that if they make a mistake, if they err, people can die, as the television yes. shows. People will die. And what fascinates me about the book is... I certainly tend to give more credence when I see people, not that I don't give credence if they're not doctors, but when you see people come forward, and not just one, not just two, but three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 20, 25, however many there are, Mm -hmm. um, it, it sort of really hits home that this is something, whether you believe or not believe, that it's worth reading and worth listening to and worth considering and trying to Bring it into the realm, you know, the scientific realm, and see if it matches up with the more spiritual or supernatural realm. The idea that there's more, as Shakespeare would say, in heaven and earth than in all your philosophy, that kind of stuff. And that's what's fascinating to me is to see doctors. You know, I'm sure there are doctors that go to church and stuff. But you never think of doctors having these kind of conversations, and it's nice to see it in your book.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was fascinating for me because I've never uh, realized that this much is happening to doctors until I started talking with them on a deep level like this. Scott,
1: Paul, and Gene, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for
10: listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNLive.com today.
20: Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. $39.95 plus shipping and handling. Use discount code GCN and receive 15% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter and get your Bug Assault today.
14: In an emergency, you need a fire now. But what if the wood is wet? No problem for Instafire. Our non-toxic fire starter packs lights wet wood, floats, and can even burn on water or in any weather. Sustains winds up to 30 miles per hour, and each pouch weighs only 1.75 ounces. Need an emergency or camp stove? Get the Instafire Inferno Stove that boils 20 ounces of water in under three minutes with controllable heat. And Intense from 425 to 1500 degrees. Free shipping. Go to Instafire.com and use discount code RADIO30 at the three times for 30% off your order. Instafire.
17: Fire in an instant.
22: you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-774-3149 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-774-3149. Again, that's eight hundred seven seven four three one four nine. 800 774 3149
20: hey this is marie d
8: jones the author of this book is from the future and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: one thing i want to ask you here we've got this x-factor in medical care where you do everything that's right and then something happens that can prevent a disaster or whatever, or allow somebody who otherwise might not have recovered from treatment to recover. But of course, as a scientist, you must think, gee, if I can package this, is it a lot also about mental attitude that you could, maybe meditation or something, anything that you can add to the drugs, to the blood thinners, whatever you're treating someone with to help them along the road to recovery?
4: Well, I think it's been proven that mental attitude goes a long way to help people recover and to live longer and to have a better result. Uh, I think when people have serious cancers, for example, if they have a great mental attitude, uh, they do better. And some of the cancer institutes now around the country and cancer centers are are incorporating that. They're incorporating uh, meditation and and, uh, uh, music and and things like that, that that give people a positive attitude. So I think there's no question that a positive attitude will help. And the other thing that I think is interesting uh, is, and I, I was hoping with this book that, that, you know, we all get little premonitions, little hints, little coincidences. And I was, I'm hoping that when people read this book, especially medical personnel, that they'll listen to some of those little premonitions uh, and, and, and not just dismiss them uh, totally. And some of those things really do help us make the right diagnosis and and there's something more than just there's something more than just hard facts and i'm i'm hoping that in reading this book that many of the medical personnel realize that there's some things that you can listen to that may not be hard facts that that may give you a little help in making a diagnosis and so that's that was my one of my hopes in in, in this book too
1: is this something so that could be brought into medical school because i think some of the complaints we hear about doctors today is that you know there's so much into the science that the bedside manner is maybe not as good with some doctors as it should be
4: I think there's a place for uh bedside manner for spirituality and, and medicine. I don't think it's it's uh, uh should take over medicine I think we need to really be very careful to to follow guidelines and and uh, the pro- proper practice uh, guidelines and so forth but there's something intangible that in medicine and I think I think if a person trusts you, that goes a long way to helping them heal. If they believe, they'll get better. If they are, are hopeful, I think all those things are, are beneficial to helping a person, person get better.
2: So here's a question for you. My favorite story, Scott, mm-hmm. because I love pie. And <laughs> your mom apparently baked yes. a great rhubarb pie. Yes. So I, I caught this as I was going through the internet, because you've been on a ton of radio shows and podcasts and stuff. Yes. Yes. And I found this one story on a, one called, I think, The Nerdy Nurse, which is kind of a funny title, a cool title for a podcast. Could, and it's, so it's a message from a pie, which... I just love, this is, this is one of those uplifting stories. It's corny. I'm a corny guy. And I just wanted to give you a chance to tell this story because I've also written about synchronicities and coincidences Mm -hmm. and what they might mean. And I found this one. um, People think I'm a curmudgeon. Um, tell Tell the message from a pie story. I love this
4: story. Okay. This is one of the stories that actually, one of, the, one of the first stories that got me thinking about these kinds of things. And, and one of the first stories that got me interested in writing this book. And that was, I love to go on vacations. And when I was a kid, I was the only child. And my parents used to take me on vacations with them. And we would go to places like Yellowstone. And, and I never uh, remember saying, are we there yet? Uh, and I just remember the, the good times. So I love to take my family on vacation. And one of the one of the favorite places we like to go to is Cape Cod, and this is a vacation in Cape Cod, and. There are some days in your life that are just memorable, that you will always remember. And this was one of those days. The weather was perfect. The family was having a great time. It was toward the end of the day. And and the boys were cooking the dinner, which we frequently do on vacation. We were having some wonderful things like swordfish on the grill and corn on the cob and so forth. And all the girls were having fun. The kids were chasing bugs in the yard. And and I just wanted to pinch myself to remember this, this special occasion. And the boys went to get the dinner fixings earlier that day. And, and we, when we went to the store, they had a whole stack of pies there. So we decided to get five pies for the crowd. And there were cherry pies. And so we, we got to talking about our favorite pies. and And our favorite pie, really, for all of us was grandma Kobava's, and she'd passed away a number of years before that rhubarb pie and we had a big rhubarb plant in our backyard and at the end of the season she'd pick the stalks of rhubarb and make this really really sweet rhubarb pie and when we visited her we'd all sneak into the kitchen and we'd get our spoons and we'd go dig right into the into the pie and and we'd all polish it off as much as we could and we thought grandma was here she'd she'd make a rhubarb pie for us and it's too bad she couldn't be part of this this is a I love family, and this is a special, special family day that I would never forget. So we finished the dinner, and my wife served the the pie, and I dug in, and as soon as I put it in my mouth, I got goosebumps up and down my back. And I looked at the pie. I looked at the box. It said cherry pie, but the pie wasn't cherry. It was a rhubarb pie. Now, you can explain that by saying in the factory or somewhere they made a mistake, and they were making rhubarb pies and cherry pies. But to me, that was my mother telling us, that she was there enjoying the family special family occasion with all of us uh, at that time. Yeah,
2: and I'm sure it was just the uh, pie factory folks or what? A pie factory, like there's a factory turning up pies. The people the who made the pies. The sure. bakers, exactly. That's the word, bakers. That's why you have the MD and I'm stuck with the JD. Uh, <laughs> we're not nearly as smart as they used to remind us at med school, law school parties. You guys um, had some great questions. Yeah, but the, but the idea that so what? like that it got there, how did it get to you and of all the pies that you could have picked up that that's the one. And to me, when you come to stories of synchronicities or coincidences, it's not just the synchronicity or the coincidence. It has to be very personal It's, you know, there's a multiple, like, it's it's like witness testimony. It's not just one witness that decides a case. It's multiple witnesses. And so you have to look at different points of inflection and everything. And that story that you just told has it. It's not just the pie. It's also your own personal experience and your own memories and how it interacted with that particular point in time for you, which is why I like the story, not only because I'm a sentimentalist at heart. Yeah. Um, don't, don't tell anyone, but also because it's a good synchronicity or coincidence story because it has those those multiple points of of intersection. Uh, so yeah, great story. Love that story. And for me, it probably would have been apple pie. I love apple pie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I like pumpkin pie. Actually, I don't know what that makes me. I'm not a big it's pie eater. The,
2: it's the perfect su- perfect time of the season for you, then. Yeah. Yes, I'm feeling in a Halloween mood. I guess that must so, be it. So I lied because Gene tells me we have one more segment. So um, one good thing lawyers are good at is, is uh, droning on and asking questions. <laughs> um, so I did notice that you've been on all these other radio shows, all these other podcasts. And I, I, I preface this by saying, do not name the radio show. I'm just sure. curious. What's the strangest question in this experience? Like this whole journey for you from the time when you published the book through this, so you've dealt with a whole bunch of different people. Yeah, what's yeah. what's sort of most out there? Question that kind of made you go, "Whoa, I didn't see that one coming." How do I answer?
4: How do I answer that one? Well, let, let me preface that by saying you guys have asked, have asked some really really good questions, some really thinking questions that uh, uh, um, I, I've not had an interview quite like this. For a long time, these these are great great questions. The most unusual question that I got was from a listener, uh, and the listener asked me if um, in in doing research, if the um, uh, if they found alien DNA in in humans that have had unusual experiences. And so I didn't know how to answer that because I'm not sure what alien DNA looks like. And so that was one of the most unusual questions I, I've had. And I wasn't sure quite how to answer that, but I just had to say no. I've, I've not uh, seen anyone with alien DNA that's been documented that I can, I can recall.
1: If you follow the UFO field, mm-hmm. there's some unusual things going on out there. And we've had a couple of shows, and we've had a lot of messages, and we've had a lot of debates that stem from people claiming that there is a race of hybrids alien human out there we're going to mm-hmm. take us over i'll just leave it at that we have one more segment with
2: scott jean and paul you're in apparently some space alien
3: paracast
10: thank you for listening to gcn
1: Once again, that's technightowl.com
0: slash host
3: Hi,
2: it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Yeah, we got to watch out for those space alien Paracasts. Parenthetically, Scott, obviously we're dealing with something here that's emotional. We're dealing with something that comes in at an emotional level. You have this anecdotal information from a lot of doctors about things that just don't make sense from a logical point of view right but is there any way you think that we can take this anecdotal evidence and put in a pot and let scientists look at it and see if there's something they could do to understand it better because i know a lot of us hate to have things out there on the table that we can't understand maybe we're not meant to understand it but sure would be nice to search for it and not just tell stories what do you think
4: a lot of these stories just defy science. How a person can have a um, out of near-death experience and, and be able to rise to the, to the top of a room and, and, and look at themselves. I suppose you could explain that by saying there's a spirit or something, but I'm not sure science can explain a lot of these experiences that, that doctors have, have had. and, and, and that was, was one of my questions. You know Do you have any experiences that you can't explain with science at all? I'm not sure that you can ultimately explain these experiences. And most of the doctors, when I really quiz them and talk with them, would say, this is something divine. This is There's something that's higher than us that has caused this experience, and that's the only way I can explain it.
1: I've put something in the message field at Skype, and it's a link to an issue of our newsletter in the PowerCast forums where there is great amount of detail comparing near-death experiences with ufo abductions which i mentioned earlier on the show yes and i'd like you to look at it and maybe some time in the future just drop me an email and let me know what you think about or maybe while you're examining me when you come down here to mesa
2: (laughs) and you are looking me over scott here's a proposition for you amazing thing is we were just talking i just invented a time machine Now, I could do a whole bunch of things with that time machine, but what I've decided to do is I'm going to send you back in time because you're a doctor. And if I send you back 2,000 years or even 1,000 years and you show up with your medical knowledge and skills, let's say if you even rudimentary instruments that we have today that they wouldn't have had then, um, Mm -hmm. they would view you as a magician or a god or something, whoa, way beyond, this is craziness. So is it possible that what we're dealing with, and I'm not about to say that what you're dealing with is time travelers, but is it possible that someday we will understand all of this this? To us, it appears to be magic or supernatural, but if there is a god, if there is this other being out there, then this is all a journey of exploration, and by which I mean all of human history. And so we're not at the end of that journey yet. We There are many things we don't understand. But there could be someday a time when 2,000 years from now or 1,000 years from now, somebody listens to this show and goes, I don't know what those guys were talking about, but this is easy. I can do all these things that they were talking about. Why were right. they so confused? And that's one of the things scientists have to wrestle with, too, I think, is this idea that we're not gods. We don't have all the answers. But perhaps we could find them someday. Does your research that you've done this factor into that and give you this idea that maybe there's a lot more out there we don't know? We should keep looking whatever method it is we choose to look for it?
4: Oh, sure. And I think what you're saying is a thousand years from now or two thousand years from now, maybe we'll have some explanations for some of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, My inclination, though, is that these experiences help me. The only way I can explain these experiences is that there's something else higher than us that controls the strings, and uh, someone that that loves us unconditionally. Uh, there's a place where we go after we after we leave this earth, and that we still can communicate in some way and in some circumstances with those that are still on Earth. And I'm not sure we'll ever have a scientific explanation for some of the things that I've experienced or or that the doctors have experienced, even thousand or two thousand years from now.
1: But can you imagine the scene in Star Trek? The voyage home, where Dr. McCoy handles a woman who is undergoing kidney dialysis, a pill, and she's cured.
4: Well, absolutely. I mean there are there are things that that I- even in my lifetime that I I didn't think would ever be cured. Hepatitis C for example. That's been the most common cause of liver transplantation in this country and a cause of death of lots and lots of people in my lifetime. And within the last 2 years there's a there's a combination drug now that totally cures that and has eliminated that as a uh, as a serious disease totally. I think the medical community is coming up with with miraculous things so that I wouldn't be surprised. You take a stem cell, for example, persons in dialysis, and they have renal failure. You inject a stem cell or some some stem cells, and, and they're totally cured, and their dialysis uh, needs to uh, disappear, and they're, and they're cured. George Washington, as my understanding, died of a strep throat. How easy is it to treat a strep throat today with penicillin? That's not even a, a major illness anymore. Strep throat, oh, here's some, here's some penicillin, you'll be fine. 200 years ago, it was a fatal illness in many cases. So I think we'll have some amazing cures and amazing things that we'll be able to use in the future.
2: I I can go even one further. You know, the the Russian composer Scriabin died of a pimple. So, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, I think, Sometime in the 1920s, that's what I have oxy-5 for or whatever, could have killed you 100 years ago. So yeah, we're always advancing. But I do think, having now asked the question uh, and gotten the answer, that I tend to agree with you that there are probably always going to be some things that are just out of reach. And whether by design or not, that will leave a sense of mystery in our lives. And I think that's, if there is something or someone out there, I think that's part of the journey that we're on. I don't think we're meant to know everything uh, because that makes it more interesting for us. And it still leaves us an element of free will. So almost like a parent, my dad let me bore the car and then I crashed it into a tree. Uh, he didn't stop me from boring the car in future. He just said, learn from your mistakes kind of yes. thing. You know, he didn't control me. He left me eventually leave the nest and and live my life. And if there is a God, I I tend to with the arminian free will theory that god allows us to lead our lives but occasionally
4: might intervene which is sort of what your book is about those occasional exactly what the book is about it's a it's a book about free will but some intervention in our lives on a regular basis in many cases by something that's Mm. higher wouldn't it be nice
1: though if we could bring that upon ourselves with the right incantation with the right attitude whatever That might be something of discovery, say, well, okay, we have all these things happening. Is there a way to increase the odds? We'd all like to see those odds increased.
2: I think it's called prayer. Yeah, that would be the point, I think. Like I said, when I crashed my dad's car, he did show up to pick me up, but if I hadn't called him, I would have been sitting out there in the cold January night for, you know, until the next morning. So at some point, I think you have to make the call. Even in the ghost investigating world, we find the same sort of thing. If we are to have experiences, usually it's because we open ourselves up to them. And I kind of liken it to going into a movie theater. If you want to see a movie, you have to buy a ticket first. And the idea of prayer is sort of the same way. I would think if you want to have that interaction, you... Open yourself up to it is the way that I would put it.
4: I would agree. And sometimes we're amazed at what happens.
2: Yeah, for sure. And your book brings that out. I mean, there really are some heartwarming stories in there, some really eye-opening stories and told by people that are credible. When I, when I sort of took a look at it, I thought, okay, this this could, you know, maybe there'll be some fun in here. And I found it's a it's a really quick read too. It's it's an easy read because it's storytelling. And they are really uplifting stories. And as you say, in a world that is seemingly, if you turn on the news, is so dire. It's so nice to read a book where you see doctors talking about these stories and providing some sense of hope, which I still think is worth something in this world.
4: And it was for me, too. I learned probably more than any reader uh, in in doing these stories. It's been very uplifting for me and very hopeful.
1: Scott, can you tell our listeners if they want more information about you and your book? Is there a site they can check it out on?
4: Physiciansuntoldstories.com is our website, and the book is available through Amazon, and it's available in a Kindle and also a softcover uh, copy through Amazon.
2: Paul, where can they find your stuff? Who knows? But you know, you can also get uh, Scott's book on Indigo if you're up here in Canada. I did notice that as well. So www.winterlightproductions.com. That's where you can find my work over the years. Look for the PowerCast on
1: Twitter. Look for two PowerCast fan clubs on Facebook. Look for the PowerCast Plus. We feature the After the PowerCast podcast where you never, ever, ever know what's going to happen next because we don't. We have lots of surprises with that show. You also get the ad-free version of this show with better quality audio. And the way to get it is to subscribe to the PowerCast Plus. Go to plus.thepowercast.com for more information. plus.thepowercast.com prices start at just a dollar 49 a week in the words of Mad Magazine our price cheap Dr. Scott Kalbaba thank you for joining us on the PowerCast.
4: Thanks Jean and Paul it was a great interview thank you Scott great talking to you Stay here.